Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. In 1993, as a family... We moved to Edinburgh. I was taking up the post of minister at Collington Mains Parish Church. And one of the first things I did was purchase a map of the city. My previous experience of Edinburgh had more or less been limited to Princess Street, the castle, and the zoo, places visited on day trips. The rest of the city was completely unknown. I needed a bigger picture to see how one area related to the other, where Morningside was in relation to Murrayfield, where Gorgie was in relation to Granton, Craig and Tinney in relation to to Kerstorfen, to see where hospitals, crematoria, and other churches were in relation to Collington Mains. My map provided that big picture. Psalm 2, which I invite you to turn to now, is a bit like my map of Edinburgh. It provides the big picture. Psalm 2 says we must know where history is going. That's why, along with Psalm 1, its positioning in the Psalter is deliberate. Psalm 1 deals with the most urgent individual matter. We must know where we are going. We must be sure, as Psalm 1 in verse 5 tells us, that we belong in the congregation of the righteous, belong to God as one of his own. Psalm 2 says that we must know where history is going. We must see the big picture. We must see that the world has been promised to God's king, his anointed one, the Messiah. So as we look at the big picture that Psalm 2 provides, what do we see? 
We see the world that is hostile. We see the throne that comforts. We see the decree that determines. And we see the gospel that calls. Firstly, the world that is hostile. Verses 1 to 3 of the psalm depict a hostile world. Nations conspire, people plot, kings and rulers take their stand against the living God and against his anointed one, the Messiah. The root attitude of the rulers depicted in the psalm is expressed by those in the parable of the ten miners told by Jesus in Luke 19. Those who said, we don't want this man to be our king. This man being Jesus, the Messiah. We don't want the Messiah to rule over us. This is the attitude of the rulers in Psalm 2. They say we do not want to be subject to this king. And ultimately in the history of salvation, this led to the crucifixion of God's king, Jesus, the Messiah. And in the aftermath of this, that hostility spilled over on to Jesus' followers. Acts chapter 4 gives us a graphic example of this and a dry, direct link to Psalm 2. In Acts 4, the religious leaders, the top brass as it were, deeply disturbed that Peter and John were proclaiming Christ, had them imprisoned. On the release, the apostles called a prayer meeting and quoted these words from Psalm 2. Why do the nations and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then focusing on the religious leaders, persecuting them. The apostles pleaded with God, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. The threats, the hostility, the enmity directed at Jesus spills over onto his followers. Thus, Psalm 2 implies that the Messiah's people will pay a huge price for following him, for belonging to him. That hostility may vary in intensity, but on the whole and increasingly, history bears testimony to the fact that those belonging to Jesus will pay a huge price. The current edition of Voice, the magazine, of Release International contains an account of the Easter bombing attack in Sri Lanka on three Christian churches. Reports on Christians being killed in Burkina Faso and Egypt. And also quotes from an independent review carried out by the Bishop of Truro on behalf of the Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt. The interim report of this review concludes that the persecution of Christians worldwide is spreading and increasing in severity. It describes a range of violent persecutions expressed through the bombing of churches, the torture of Christians by authorities, extrajudicial killings, and the enforced and involuntary disappearance of Christians. The enmity directed at Jesus spills over onto his people. Christianity is by far the most persecuted faith in the world. However, Verse 1 and 2 tells us that ultimately this hostility will be in vain. How so, you ask? Why do the nations conspire is the way the psalm opens. Why 
only appears once. But it's intended to carry over to the following clauses. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? Why do the kings of the earth take their stand? Why do rulers conspire together? And the why expresses astonished disbelief rather than a lack of understanding. The sense of the question being asked is, are they insane? What do they think they're up to? Rebelling against the living God. They're out of their minds. Or to put it more colloquially and graphically, they're after heed. This is the big picture Psalm 2 provides. A big picture of the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. If we are going to get a right view of God's kingdom and the cost of discipleship, we must first get an accurate view of the world. This world is often hostile to God. Jesus himself told us so in John's Gospel. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I, have, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, there are, of course, biblical passages which speak of believers enjoying favor in the world. Daniel in the Old Testament and the early church in the New Testament, among others. And that is something to pray for. But in both these examples, Daniel and the early believers also experienced persecution. This is the big picture the Bible provides, a picture of a hostile world. This is the reality the Bible presents to us, saying, get this into your head. Be sure you understand what to expect. We, of course, do not experience anything like the hostility experienced by our brothers and sisters in Christ in many other parts of the world. We are not in fear of our life. We are not persecuted. But we only have to think of how Dan Walker, presenter in Breakfast TV, was castigated for his views on creation. We only have to think how Tim Farron was forced to relinquish leadership of the Lib Dems because of his Christian faith. And then, we only have to think of all that the Asher family in Northern Ireland had to endure because they could not in all conscience support gay marriage to understand and see how Christians can come a cropper in our increasingly secular society that wants Christian faith to be something that's done in private. And the likelihood is things will get more difficult. In Psalm 2, we see the world that is hostile. But we also see the throne that comforts. We stand to sing Mission Praise 975. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. They have in their arsenal are nuclear devices. And the thought that these could destroy God's kingdom bent him double with laughter. Our focus, fed by the media, is more often than not on the rulers of this world. The likes of Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un. We need to get 
refocused. Refocused on the truth represented by the laughing God of Psalm 2. Why does he laugh? Because he is the one enthroned in heaven. The one who is over all. The one who called all things into being. The one who, in the beginning, made the sun and the moon, as Genesis tells us. And then, in a throwaway line, says he also made the stars. He is the God of the galaxies. The God who has brought trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars into being. Our God is an awesome God. And that is the effect verse 4 is designed to have on the faithful reader of Psalm 2. We hear the frightening words of the powerful in verse 3, directed at God and his anointed one. Let us break their chains and throw off their fetters. But then we refocus on the response to the living God. And in this case, the laughing God, the one enthroned in heaven, laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And that is what is to hold our attention. In news bulletin after news bulletin, we see what the rulers of the world are capable of in Syria, in Myanmar, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. But that, in the end, is not what is to hold our attention. The laughing king of verse 4 is who we are to focus on and how he views these rulers. To quote the message again, at first, God is amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. And verse 5 tells us he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath. No matter how powerful a person, that in the end will be the ultimate reality. God will scoff at the rulers of the world, at their pretension, at their power. The rulers of the world in the Psalms say, let us. The living God says, I have. There is all the difference in the world. The living God says in Psalm 2 and verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. My king, the Davidic line of kings from whom the Messiah will come. Jesus, the Messiah, the king who will rule the world, the one before him one day, every knee will bow. I have established my kingdom, says God, an everlasting kingdom. And yet, as this kingdom is established, there's a certain divine weakness in the face of the world. Look where it begins. Zion. Zion was a banana-shaped hill measuring around 11 acres on the southeastern ridge of Jerusalem in a provincial backwater called Judah. Small fry in the eyes of the world. God 
plants his kingdom in weakness. But because God plants it, it will The throne that comforts, the decree that determines. In verses 7 and 8 we read, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. This is the Father speaking to the Son. This is God the Father speaking to Christ the Son. The one he is appointed to rule. Jesus is the rightful king of the world. The only rightful king. It all belongs to Jesus, the Messiah. Whether present powers recognize it or not. One day, they will. For one day, as already said, every knee will bow before Jesus. His kingly rule will be fully enforced. God the Father decrees to the Son in verse 9, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. The picture that the decree gives is of an appointed king with worldwide sway that ultimately will be established by overwhelming power. Power that cannot be withstood. Standing in its path will bring about the same result as a piece of crockery being in the way of an iron club. In that coming together, there's only going to be one winner. This is the decree that is controlling history. In our house, when I was growing up, my dad's word was law. There could be discussion, there could be debate, there could be disagreement. But in the end, what my dad said was it with regard to an issue. What my dad said was what controlled what happened in the house. In the same way, in Psalm 2, the living God's decree controls what will happen in history. The will of God for Jesus is outlined in verses 79. These words determine what will happen in the history of the world. This is the decree that determines what will be. And it's not que sera, que sera, whatever will be, will be. It is what God has said will be. It is certain. And this certainty has to indwell us, coloring the way we look at life, the way we look at politics, the way we look at the world. We may not always know what to make of these things, but knowing the decree that determines, knowing how it will shape and control things, we know where history is headed. And this enables us to keep things together, keep things together in the face of times like the present, when in the midst of Brexit, not knowing what will happen, 
perhaps feeling that things are out of control and with little confidence in our politicians to sort things out, we are left with all sorts of questions to which often we don't have answers. But we do have God's Word. We do have Psalm 2, which tells us of a sovereign God, tells us of the decree that determines how it will control and shape everything, tells us where history is headed, the decree that determines, and finally, the gospel that calls in verses 10 to 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The words are the psalmist, but the invitation is the Lord's. An invitation apparently given to the kings and rulers already described in the psalm. Mercy is offered to rebels, to those who have rebelled against their rightful ruler. Mercy is offered to those who have said, we don't want this man to be our king. This is a gospel of grace. A gospel that reflects the wideness of God's mercy, the depth of God's love. It is a gospel that it is all of God, all of grace. A gospel that offers rebels reward. A gospel that offers salvation to all, no matter who they are, no matter what they have been, no matter what they have done in the past. All who repent and believe in the gospel will be saved. And in the context of the psalm, danger and delight are held out to these rulers to move them to such repentance. A danger to avoid. The warning issued is, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. His wrath can flare up in a moment. A danger to avoid. A delight to experience. The, de the declaration is, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Danger and delight are held out to move to repentance. The gospel does not change. The gospel remains the same. The gospel of Jesus Christ remains the same. The good news of Jesus brings with it the danger of judgment and delight in the Lord. Judgment on rebellious sinners, joy in sins forgiven. The invitation remains the same. And so too the required response found in verse 11. Serve the Lord. Become a servant of the living God. Become his servant, his slave. Give him total submission not an especially appealing option for kings and rulers. They are to kiss the sun. To kiss the sun in the ancient Near East was to kiss the feet of a conquering king. 
When a Near Eastern monarch spoke of the homage given by a conquered king, he would say, he came and kissed my feet. Now these days, not many are running around with crowns on their head. There are not many kings in the world. And so we could say that this psalm is somewhat remote. But it's not really. There are not as many kings in the world, but just as many rebels. All of humankind, if we believe the Bible. And each of us face the same demand. Kiss the sun. Kiss his feet. Bow low in total submission to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As I read this week, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a leisure time gospel. It's a whole life gospel. The gospel that calls. Calls to each of us. Each of us faces the same demand. Faces the same danger. The danger of turning away from Jesus Christ. The danger of not taking refuge in him. And therefore not knowing that blessedness that the psalm promises. But the gospel also provides the same opportunity. The opportunity of delight. The opportunity to kiss the son. To take refuge in him. Refuge from all that assails us in a fallen world. The gospel that calls. Calls us to see the big picture. To see that the world is hostile. To see the cost of discipleship. To see the throne that comforts. See the lamb upon the throne and keep our eyes on him. See the decree that determines. See where history is headed and be grounded in that reality. The gospel that calls. Calls us to kiss the sun. Bow low in total submission to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take refuge in him and know the delight that he alone can bring. Amen. Lord God, we bring these, our offerings before you. And as we do so, Father, as we place these gifts in front of you, we remember your gift to us, the gift of Jesus. We give you thanks for him. Give you thanks for him before whom every knee will bow. We give thanks that he is indeed the Lord of history. And that in the midst of a world that often perplexes us, we can look to him. We can look to the throne that comforts we do thank you for that, Father. For we do live in a fallen and broken world. 
and we lift it up before you. We do pray, Father, for all that surrounds the issue of Brexit and give you thanks again that no matter what happens, you are sovereign and your purposes will be fulfilled. But we do pray, Father, as you have told us to, we pray for those in authority. We pray for wisdom. We pray for righteousness. We pray for decisions that will be for the good of all. Father in heaven, you are the God who hears and answers prayer. And so, and so we commit these prayers to you, believing and giving thanks that you are such a God, that your will will be done. May we, Father, as your people, ever desire to be in the center of that will, desire to be a people who are used to fulfill your purposes, who are used to give you all glory. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.